Uh, primary reflections and definitions of our practices of taking refuge is quite you just think of the, the idea of taking refuge it's, it's, it's slightly disturbing refuge from what kind of cowering in a corner somewhere or, or refugees tossed out in the stateless homeless orphans uh, from reality of some kind or another <laughs> I'm trying to find a place to crawl into where we'll be safe and warm. And as in um, quite a few of the Buddha's teachings, there's something slightly disturbing, also slightly heartwarming, and actually there is. There's a sort of a chilling recognition that um, we are in a predicament. We are vulnerable, we are assailable. Uh, things break down, things let us down, our bodies break down. Our circumstances twist and turn and slip out of our grasp. Jobs, relationships, um, and so on. And I'm sure all of us experience this. Life is a slippery business. Tackling and holding uh, social, financial, um, emotional, perceptual, intellectual relationship uh, twists and turns. It can be quite a quite a ride, quite a juggling thing. And there's a lot of um, one can get into a kind of state of of uh, just want to give up sometimes, uh, feel really lost. Is there nothing? Is there no one to, is interested in me or look after me or take care of me? So, uh, you know, when you, you realize the Buddha Dharma is actually there at that time, it's not really very, uh, it's not bedtime reading. It's, it's, it's for the awareness of a kind of an ongoing, um, crisis and on, an ongoing, um, Vulnerability and ongoing 
danger, which if we're out of it momentarily, we're in the clear, we come into a clearing, but then the dark forest lies ahead. We come into clear water, but there's clouds on the horizon. Um, The parents are dying, slowly. The body's breaking up slowly. Now it's fine. So, just that kind of awareness, uh, and and coupled with that recognition, you know, as you if you enter into that consideration, then you're also someone who can enter into and dwell in the quality of of refuge. The Buddha called uh, one of the epithets for the fruits of the practice is kema, means uh, like a safety or a security. But it's a security that comes through, um, through the practice. Through the, and the practice, essentially, we can see as of letting go of one attempted series of refuges and securities uh, until that quality of letting go so exercises the will, so exercises the heart, so exercises our consciousness that that very consciousness, that heart itself, is our refuge. And um, Buddha Dharma Sangha, uh, we can look at this uh, refuge, this refuge heart in this way. Buddha, the wise, the, the, the transcendent, that there is this. The Dharma, the pattern or the process, the natural law, which such a, such a one lives in. And the Sangha, which is the recognition of of common human bond in that we can we can relate to that we can make it something that's uh, living on this on this conventional plane Ta- uh, tangible relatable to accessible a reference point on this human plane And uh, as we, as it says in our chanting, uh, that we, our intention for our own welfare is to make this our refuge. This is a no other refuge. There should be no other refuge than this. This is, of course, an aspiration. I mean, sure, uh, most of us have our, our little, you know, life belts and and things to hold on to, and you know. Uh, and fair enough. Yeah. Yeah, securities, the comforts, uh, network. But at the end of the day, you know, one always has to recognise well, that well and good. What fortune it is that one does have, say, good friends. One is in good health. One is in a relatively peaceful country. One. Uh, um, you know, these kinds of things. This is this is indeed good fortune. Um, but uh, you know, don't take it for granted. You know? mm. so, mm. Use it well. Use the benefits, the blessings that one has uh, been born into as a human being, and in this particular time, to really uh, aim for what is one's uh, most secure uh, refuge.
Now, uh, this very kind of talk, the quality, the, you know, the ref- an understanding of or a vision of the, what I'm calling the, the crisis or sustained vulnerability, um, it's something that, that is not particularly comfortable, comforting. So most of us um, have tend to shy away from that, and our refuges, our security comes in, in making uh, other things seemingly solid. We can uh, putting a lot of energy and investment into making other things solid, as solid as possible. Conventional light. Uh, and then, as we do that, then of course, as you as you mature, you recognise there's a price you have to pay for that, and the amount of effort one has to do to to sustain solidity in terms of um, you know um, relationships, people, situations, um, health, and so on. And it, it, it's a something that requires a certain amount of effort and energy. But this is actually although this can seem to be the main topic in, in our lives, actually most of the security, most of the other, uh, the alternative refuge is something that we expend an enormous amount of energy in doing, almost unconsciously, probably don't really wouldn't even recognize we're doing it. Um, and it's, it's the, the most um, continual activity and in a way the most uh, uh, um, futile. Um, one, would, one would actually be wiser to, uh, to base one's sense of security upon a house than to base it upon the sense of self. This sense of self, this sense of uh, I am something, is, uh, the th- is a kind of unquestioned Refuge point, unquestioned reference point that a uh, tremendous amount of psychological, emotional uh, energy goes into, uh, more or less uh, in it with every activity. Mm. So much so that, of course, it it, um, it takes over the spiritual path also. That uh, you know, one's feelings, that perhaps, with the spiritual path are to to enter into a situation to find some state where I will be. You know, enlightened, more aware, this, that, and the other. It's a kind of toning up of the, the system, and it's it's such a powerful um, current to be caught in this sense of becoming something and being something and self in something that even the Buddha himself thought this is going to be very difficult to even interest people in, let alone you know teach it. So um, in Buddha Dharma, you, you generally have a kind of a progressive teaching, which which does enable one to, in fact, improve and 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 qualify and give more quality to one's sense of self, yeah. knowing really what does give one the best kinds of emotional balance, what is for one's welfare and happiness. These are called the, the mundane um, um, practices, and you shouldn't one shouldn't put these down because actually. Um, it's really impossible to to do to 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 practice the uh, the uh, letting go of self until you've actually properly uh, made, made one's mundane self into something that's wholesome. Just like if you say to a um, 
someone who can't swim in, in the sea and they're holding onto a life belt, you know. So you say to someone who can't swim, oh, let go of the life belt, you'll be all right. <laughs> you let go of the life, you're all right, and they can't swim, you know, it, it doesn't work. If they can swim, you know, then they can do it. They can do it. So it's similarly to, to be able to, to really uh, uh, let go, to, to, to enter into freedom. Really, you have to be able, you have to first of all get fit enough to, to swim, if you like. You have to get the mind, the sense of self has to be clear enough, focused enough, aware enough, in tune enough, confident, um, well directed. Um, the karma has to be purified before we can really even consider, um, you know, something that uh, takes us out of that particular channel and way of operating in terms of me and mine. So first of all, the path is really one where that sense of me and mine is somewhat refined and elevated to, to something a little more noble, uh, uh, more calm, uh, morally conscientious, uh, generous and loving, and the, these kinds of qualities. And it's really from the, the perfection of this and the honest engagement and the honest recognition of, of this is actually doing me good, that 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 is what is required really to, to, to even let, to let go of the sense of self because it, this quality of purifying oneself, of cultivating skillful karma, has two functions. First of all, it does purify the, the, the sense of self so that one is actually feeling you know, more wholesome, uh, clearer, more calm, uh, wiser, more discerning. Um, you know, one's got clearer views on things, one's behavior is skillful. So that's the first benefit of it. One actually does arrive at a better state of being something. But the second function, the second quality that, that occurs, the second kind of um, fulfillment that occurs is, is the very activity that's involved in, in arriving in that state brings to light and enhances the, the spiritual faculties that eventually begin to, to, to supplant the, the, this need for a solid self. Just as we could say, you know, when you um, you make a mould, you know, you have to have a form and then a big plaster cast around this mould to, to hold it up. And then once you've actually got the, the cement in the mould, then you can actually take the form off and the thing stands up. Uh, but if you didn't have that form, then the cement wouldn't be able to, to uh, it wouldn't stay in one place long enough to actually become solid and, and take on the particular form. Um or you, re- you know, you recognise that when you're a uh, a child and you have to have particular, you know, harnesses and things to help you stand upright. But then once you've grown up, you can take these things off. You don't need them anymore. You know, that kind of the, the quality, the, the system's got its own energy. And similarly, the the qualities of good karma are like that. They support, and in the the activity of of strengthening and purifying the karma sustains the, the spiritual faculties that eventually take over and supplant the need for a kind of a, a substantial self. I am this, yeah. and these spiritual faculties. Um, there are different ways of classifying these, and I, I don't really want to go into all this at this particular time. Um, 
but one would say things such as uh, mindfulness, um, such as um, investigation, such as equanimity, such as as uh, uh, understanding these kinds of things, which are really there. They are. Um, They're faculties of of of, an, of awareness. They're not they're not personal faculties. They, they don't they don't belong to anybody. They're not they haven't got a personal mark on them. So the quality of mindfulness is not you know male or female or young or old or Belgian or Swedish or anything. It's um, it's not historical. It doesn't have a particular angle. It's, um, and, contra- and contrary to, so, so this is, you know, this is the kind of direction the path goes in. Um, and, you know, you, you recognize that the, the, the Buddha himself pointed out that the whole process of, of being something like a thing, an object, uh, which you can actually see in physical terms or psychological terms, um, is itself, is the root cause of, of distress and sorrow and, and uh, insecurity and anxiety. We can look at this in very obvious ways, one's self-image, if you like. Um, the, 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 the impression that we think other people have of us is a little kind of solid lump, something I feel myself as being. Um, so the, these solid lumps don't necessarily, you know, different ones of them appear in consciousness at, a, at a one time. You don't always experience yourself as a physical reality. A lot, you may experience yourself in some kind of, one of a range of emotional realities, as, uh, as loved or as hated, as in control or out of control or whatever. You know, you can experience yourself in these ways. And when one of these perceptual realities takes over, then for that particular time you become it, and it seems to be a definition of what you are, and your actions then proceed from that. I think this is quite clear. So an emotional mood, when it takes over and it possesses, becomes a kind of a base or a station, a kind of, uh, 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 for that particular time, a kind of coherent reality of myself that then my actions proceed from. And... Of course, one of the, the great guessing games in, in human relationships is to find out which reality is on the other person's screen at any particular time. When you're looking at something, you're seeing a physical, you're seeing something that's got a physical quality to it, and what they're experiencing is an emotional quality, but you don't actually know that. Or you guess it, but you don't know which one it is. Um, so this, of course, makes life quite spicy, interesting, and full of... Um, um, uh, Bewilderment. <laughs> Trying to, you know, as you kind of get a little more sus- clear about how to recognise which mood he's in, or you know, uh, what he's up to today, or where she's at, or yourself, the other. Um, but then also, when you begin to get some feedback, and you realise that your ways of perceiving people are actually depending on what's on your screen. So if you're in one of your kind of fraught states of mind. Then, who's out there actually is 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 tinted, if not largely created, 
you know, the, by, by what's in here. So it's quite a game. Um, I kind of loosely, this, so this is, but what we can recognize about all of these is that they do throw up these mirage experiences of solid people, either this one here, that one there. Uh, and that solidity is, is um, tenacious but unsatisfactory. A lot of it's uh, the, the, these perceptual models that we have are generally they kind of demand things, they demand fulfilment, they demand reassurance, they demand uh, authorization, um, they expect things to be done for them, um, they expect to be approved of or related to or whatever, um, and, and they're, they're demanding in this way, and they are often um, their demand comes from their essential um, dissatisfaction because um, things outside of their world keep kind of nudging up against it. So you know you're in your reality where you you know you feel a particular state of mind or feeling of what you feel yourself of being, and, and other people aren't fitting in with that. So you get you kind of get this edge on it, this conflict. And as much as we can. Uh, talk about uh, letting go of particular moods or activities, uh, the most difficult thing to do and the the really uh, worthwhile thing to do is to let go, not of activities, but of these perceptual realities that occur. And this is is difficult to do. So you see, as we all know, you find people who still, you know, can resuscitate grudges and wounds of, Two decades ago, you know, it's okay. Maybe they dropped it, but it's the seedbed is still there. And once that 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 you know that kind of mood, that perception takes over, the whole thing comes out again. So, and when we look at it, what what's it like? What are practical instances? Say maybe you've got something going with your mother, your father, your whatever. So, you know, when one of those things trigger points gets touched. This whole, you become somebody in that, in, in the light of that particular experience. And then the whole movie starts playing again. If it doesn't, either, um, consciously or, or semi-consciously, you feel certain things. You feel yourself to be certain things. You feel grief or resentment or sorrow or whatever it is if it's an afflicted relationship. So maybe, you know, you, you think you've forgiven and forgotten, let go, but you still have the primary model of what that person is and what you are still rests there. Now, there are, there are particular instances you know, in afflictive relationships, but apart whatever they may be, and these are things we, in our ongoing process of practice, you have to keep acknowledging and realizing, hey, you know, this is this is business. This is not something to just kind of you know, getting away my practice. It actually is is the practice, um, but to, to also to to recognise the very um, energies and the structuring of those particular uh, realities, those particular um, perceptions. That is that that one does seem to keep looking for solidity in things that are that experience. Tells us are mysterious. Uh, that's a positive term. Um, insecure, um, changeable, uncertain. 
So um, I'd just give a uh, simple example. Say when I began to practice meditation, then of course you know I'm coming from a, a situation of feeling myself to be a, a certain kind of person and doing particular things. This is who I am, and then really entering into a, a monastery and giving up a lot of those particular activities, the particular uh, actions. Normally, our perceptions of who we are are sustained uh, and fortified by going through the same actions. They become ritualized. I do certain things on a Friday, a Tuesday. This is how I relate to this person. You get this kind of an array of, of actions and activities that keep sustaining particular perceptions of who we are. And uh, in, a, in, a, in meditation, there's a relaxation of those activities. So there's a little less clarity about who I am. This can be, first, quite refreshing. Um, it can also be um, very unsettling. When you enter a monastery, um, then, then that effect is amplified many times over because there's a tremendous cutting off of, of one's original um, activities, your relationships, things you do, the ways you do things, the days you do things on, your hobbies, your amusements, and things like that. So it's profoundly unsettling. Yeah. And in that profound state of kind of dysfunctionality, if you like, then the mind swings towards something you can get solid about. Um, there are first of all the kind of, um, you know, defensive ploys, uh, that we get solid about being left alone or, or, or things we can have. You get quite, you get quite obsessive about requisites, uh, places, situations where you can, you can feel solid again. You can be, you can have something you can kind of ritualize as yours. Um, and then this actually then transfers to the practice itself. My practice becomes pretty, you know, a, a kind of virtual reality that that I carry around and feel assured by my rights to practice, my ability to practice, my practice. I'm a someone who practices. The practice is this. I've given myself to my practice. This gets in the way of my practice. You are not part of my practice, and so on. So you, you, this 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 lump arises. Um, what I've found in my own practice is that eventually my practice gets so big and so solid that it actually begins to shove out. Um, the, the, all the things that don't agree with it, like um, like me. That's <laughs> 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 you know, not part of my practice, you know. I don't really fit into it. All these strange feelings are not part of my practice, and this isn't part. So you know, you kind of <laughs> carry this thing around and worship it, and also. Um, you know, it becomes like having a pet dog. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger. You start out with a little chihuahua and you've got a great dane and the thing keeps eating more of all you can give to it and it gobbles it up and gets a bit bigger and then it wants more. Um, so I, I, you kind of find ways and means of trying to, you realize you've got to keep changing what, what this, this concept of practice. So when I started, then my practice was something quite quite clearly defined, you know, do these, focus on this, focus on that, do this and do that. It's a simple technique kind of practice. And then all kinds of, because it was, it, was, it was so clearly defined that most everything disturbed it. 
<laughs> you know, it was, it was it was so clearly fine that it, it, you realise that reality itself is actually a shifting, fuzzy experience. Um, it's not that sharp-edged. It's a, it's amorphous and it's ambivalent and it's it's sort of shifting and changing. It's actually very uncertain what is really happening. So that when you get something very clear and sharp, it cer- it gives you a certain kind of refuge quality because you can get definite and focused. So you, it's it's useful and it does enable you to to do some exercise and some you know some work on yourself. But the danger in it is that you get that very quality of certainty is something one gets addicted to. So you, you lose touch with letting go into the into the uncertainty, and that. That, that practice becomes another mask of self, of what I am. Um, so, when you begin to get some insight into this experience, then it becomes um, your responsibility to actually keep shifting the metaphors of what we consider ourselves to be doing, or broadening them out. Um, and essentially... Um, as one gains more confidence, uh, as one gets a little more agility, then this possibility of of really understanding the path is one of letting go of self. And not not only knowing that, but knowing what exactly that does mean in each moment, in each situation, and also growing to the point where one is capable of doing it. And to be... uh, um, you know, I think to be actually factual about it, then one can know, but not actually be capable. Uh, this is this is standard, I think, or certainly in in many cases, I've been quite clear about you know what I need to let go of, and actually capable of doing it. Um, you know, I just don't have the the energy, the courage, the faith, the the the, rela- the ability to relax. Mm. It's rather like. Um, you know, vertigo, or if you're frightened of, of, of heights, you can go up so high and, and you can't actually go any higher because just the, the uncertainty takes over and you just can't take it. And uh, I think the commonest thing for, for me, the experience of, of the, you know, the, the edge that pushes one back is, is a fear of being overwhelmed. It's not, it's not a rational fear, it's an irrational fear. It's like, like a baby, like a, being a child and being smothered, something that just kind of kicks and starts, and you can't, you can't do that. You feel a sense of something overwhelming you. Um, now, uh, this is my image of of the no go point that one can't do. That one can't do it. Mm. And that's that's for me. That's that's something. That's that's the reality of it. Rather than judging or blaming or saying you should do, you know, you just know what you can do, and you try you try to trust that in the course of of cultivation, as long as you keep aware of that area and you don't shun it, you don't pretend that you're capable of what that, that you've got it all cleared out, you've got it all sorted out, then you gradually uh, uh, the, the skills and the fruitions and the confidence arises to just nudge into that area. So that that one is able a little more to let go, little few things, little one or two attachments, or the intensity of attachment can go down. 
things that one couldn't stand, one doesn't like, but one can stand it. Things that one couldn't do without, I can do without for a day or two anyway. (laughs) (laughs) And this is, this is fine. This is the way it has to be, perhaps. Because the quality of being, uh, the feeling of being overwhelmed, totally losing it, um, is, is the death. That we, our instinct, our self-instinct, uh, just kicks back from. It takes a lot of, uh, experience to find yourself actually not just moving towards it, but at being able to really relax into it. I've had a few experiences uh, generally foisted upon me of that particular thing, uh, near-death experiences where something has actually arisen that was, an a- a- was able to just kind of move into that and let go. But um, when situations arise, come to you, that's different from actually purposely of one's own free will <laughs> moving towards them. <laughs> So the, the understanding holds out these certain possibilities that we can at least uh, begin to sketch in conceptually at first and then testify the experience to there being a real um, emptiness. Uh, essentially our being is not a thing. It's, uh, it has no fixed characteristic, but there is. There's some sort of dynamic, or if you like, a, a process, there's some dynamic awareness. But every time it, it lights onto something and, and we transfer to that thing, there's a loss. And eventually there's the wrenching as that thing parts, separates from us. Or there's the clenching onto it and the unwholesome conceits or fears or, or justifications and judgments that arise when one does attach to something. But there is. As the Buddha said, there is the unborn, the unconditioned. The, the, the only quality of it is isness. It has no thinginess to it at all. So this is, if you like, at first we can just hold that up as, as a, you know, as a conceptual thing and then begin to assess, well, in, what is there? You know, there is hunger, there is joy, there is busyness, there is boredom, there is excitement, there is enthusiasm. But essentially what, what is the, the is, is the, is the unchanging feature. All the other things, if you like, adjectives or, or qualities that, that pass through that. Presence. So this, this is the, so we can begin to, to at least acknowledge that, recognize that. And particularly in the endings of activities of uh, when perceptual realities start to shift, break up, uh, either in a positive way or an unpleasant way, or just the ordinary functions of thought, the endings of thought, the the visual endings, the the moments when the emotional state, having peaked, begins to decline and then 
fades. Just just that recognition of, of the, the process of conditions is our first understanding of, even though the process seems to waver, the quality of suchness or isness or awareness doesn't shift in that. I mean, you can deflect the topic, but still, there you are. This we call the experience of emptiness or um, transparency or something of this nature. But you also realize that in order to to um, consciously connect to that, there has to be the clarity of skillful karma. That is, if one's if one's mental psychological activities are bound up with uh, delusion, with ignorance, with seeing things wrongly, with looking in the wrong direction, with expect you know wanting something else, with with uh, aversion to what's happening, then you never you never experience this. Try to, you know, these, perhaps these terms are a little bit, you know, way out philosophical, but you look at them in just simple everyday life. You know, if you're willing, if you're willing to be clear about your anxiety or distress, you know, something, it's, it's testing. It doesn't want to be clear about it. It wants to just go away and find something else, you know. But if you, if you do act upon that instinct to just get away and find something else, well, yeah, you know, you do find something else. You find something that's more pleasant. But you've actually remained in the same fragile state of, of the solidity of those experiences. They still haunt you. And you know that sooner or later you're going to come back to it again, or come up again in another form. Really, the encouragement is, is that in the experience to just sustain awareness of it, to, and when it's something that pushes you away, to really try to, to move into it, so that one isn't, set, you know, adding adding ignorance or confusion or aversion or denial to that, or blaming or judging, just to really try to rest into that, to nestle into it, and in that process, depending on how difficult these conditions are, there'll, there'll certainly be, you know many ways in which the mind will just tense up and refuse to do it. Or, but so the, some of these things have to be really you know, massaged and, and, and endorsed and encouraged to, 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 to go into. I found anxiety an extremely uh, unpleasant and um, humiliating experience. I feel anxious about things. I don't want to feel anxious about things. When I feel anxious about things, I go and ask somebody to reassure me. I don't, ask, I don't go around saying that. Please reassure me, but I kind of start, you know, looking for somebody to, to talk to or make things seem solid again. Mm-hmm. I don't like insecurity or anxiety, so then I find that quite a lot of um, social relationships are just about that. Hold my hand. Mm-hmm. 
And so, you know, it's just quite humbling, isn't it? And you kind of still realise that something in one is, you can still go back to looking for his mother in various forms, or father, something like that. But then to really acknowledge that, that anxiety, the feeling of it, something in one looking for certainties, So that at least if I do that for a little while, then I'm not continuing the habit of denial and, and sleep fidgeting away from it. The other morning, the other morning after the we had once you, I found this. You know, the idea of meditation as a perception in the mind is some kind of set series of nice little techniques. I'm going to roll out and show how good I'm at. Has been certainly gone by the goes by the uh, falls by the wayside. Um, they just sit there and and open up and examine and try to be with the way it is. And I can realize how dull my mind felt after a lot of activity. Not interested and didn't want to do anything. Didn't want to make anything. Didn't want to you know do any meditation techniques and you know, get refined on this or focus on. Shut up! Leave me alone. Is what my mind state was about, <laughs> and uh, not it wasn't even passionate. It was like, wasn't even kind of couldn't even get that amount of vigor into the aversion anymore. <laughs> it just didn't want to take form on anything, and it wasn't it wasn't you know angry or negative. It was just it was just dull, and I don't like feeling dull. I don't like it, mummy. <laughs> Make it go away. <laughs> and so I started uh, seeing, you know, contemplating the actual physical feelings and of the, of the dullness, and the, the feeling of the energy energy system when it's when it's like that, and the mind's inability to to come up with any any interesting thoughts or concepts or do anything kind of clear, sharp, focusing, this kind of flaccid rag. And then something, oh well, go, go do something else. And actually uh, celebrating my dullness. I decided to have a morning of celebrating dullness in all its glory. It's that, you know, take, just taking a different angle on it all. To, you know, as a way of trying to enter into that thing. You know, which is which is humble. My, which is not something I want to be. Suchito the dull is not a title that I want to. You know, Suchito the bright would well, right, you know, say that about me behind my back and all. You know, but don't say I don't want to go down the history of Suchito the dull, the anxious dull. Abbott, <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> As he swings between fits of anxiety and, and bouts of dullness. <laughs> so, it, it, to me, it, I could actually see that, and then actually moving into it, it's quite—I found it quite a relieving experience because the really edge of the resistance was this solidification that, f- when there is this state, there's this thing behind it that says you are it. 
There's a kind of there's a, there's a reification of that. And when I can actually just kind of go to the experience itself, then the experience itself is, is all right. It's the reification, it's making it into something. And once it became something, then there was a, there was a there was an automatically there was I don't want this. When it became something, I don't want this. I don't want this. You can actually feel that, that tension arise. But then when I something was able to just enter into it, then it was like a you know, a moving experience and it wasn't self, it wasn't a person. So there wasn't any not wanting it. There wasn't any wanting it either. Then I begin to see how the very kind of grasping of desire must always depend upon there being a thing. Some sort of, you know, thing. It gives rise to that. It's called the process gives rise to grasping, desire and grasping give rise to the sen- this becoming experience, which is the experience of reification, of existence, of being a thing. So, what I'm suggesting is that you don't actually have to... Um, it's very much the same life experiences that can be occurring, but one's response and relationship to those is, is where we can begin to move, find ourselves freeing up the sense of what I am. So, saying, you know, look at your your inner realities of, of whatever they are, you know, your, your moods, your habits, your karmic experiences, or what happens to you because of what, you know, what comes up because of what's done to you, then that's not really the problem. It feels like the problem. It feels like the problem because it's made myself, and it's historical, and it's what happened to me, and it's because of her and him and them. And then, then it's the problem. As long as that experience occurs, as long as it's made historical and personal and interpersonal, then it, it will never be cured. And you can think about forgiving and forgetting and letting go of it, but you don't. It just goes down and it comes up again. It's only when one's actually entered into the heart of that vulnerability, of that humiliation, if you like, that the sense of making something out of it, can be um, relinquished. And, you know, as a human being, just think, what is possible? Is it possible to live a life not being blamed? Is it possible to live a life not being hurt? Is it possible to live a life uh, not being mistrusted? Is it possible to live a life, you know, just go through the list, you know, so there's nothing unfair or unjust about it all. Really. This is what we got born into. But liberation is possible. Difficult, challenging, but possible. And as, you know, there of course will seemingly have our you know, psychological realities that uh, we experience and perhaps we don't really want to 
be that conscious of, probably not really let anybody else know about. But the the tools for dealing with this and the intimacy of our own psychological karma are also the same tools as, as are sharpened and encouraged by our bodily and verbal karma. It's how we act, how we speak. How much of our action actually goes into solidifying ourselves, finding positions and roles, status, um, defense positions, um, status positions, um, things of this nature. I mean, I would imagine that for most of us here, this is this is you know, relatively subdued, minimal. But um, you know, or when one finds oneself in a in a, um, a vulnerable state, then suddenly the the odds on that occurring become a little more um, higher. You know, it's 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 uh, it's when things get difficult that that we go into into our room. Lock the door and crawl under the blanket. <laughs> it's, you know, you know, find some kind of little nest somewhere, you know, um, like that. Yeah. But you can also perhaps recognise it. Uh, in monasteries are, are are tremendous testing grounds for these these habits because so much um, of one's ability to create. Uh, separate separate worlds is taken away. So much of one's hobbies, pastimes, you know, feel like doing this, feel like doing that, go and be with this person, don't want to be with that one. So much of that is taken away that you get down to some, you know, you get down to the kind of raw um, seeking uh, protection and um, so on. Attachment. Seems almost seems that the, the 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 veil of it is taken away, and you have to come to terms with this attaching attachment and attaching. First of all, we think the problem is I've got attachments to people, food, this, that, and the other, and this is a, this is a great uh, mistake, a bit of a uh, red herring, really. It's true to a certain extent, but the real problem is not those. The problem is the nature to attach, the need to attach. Which we can only really um, release ourselves from through fully understanding. So our attachments are actually often the places where we can most clearly learn about the experience of attaching. You're attached to a person, or something like that. Actually, what happens there? It's really rather than saying, "No, I'm not attached. Not attached. No, 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 not attached. Or I shouldn't attach. Or maybe tomorrow I won't attach." Just really look what it feels like. You know, it's a, what actually happens, and what is it? What is it, what actually is that thing? That that, that situation, you know, that that place, one's kuti. What actually is it? You, know, you attach to a visual experience, or what? Close your eyes. Is it different? 
Is it a visual thing? Is it a t- you t- touch with your finger taste? No. It's, it's a mental thing, isn't it, for most of us? It's triggered off by those. These visual experiences remind us of a psychological state. What does that psychological state actually mean to us? I'm all right. I'm okay. You know, I'm light. This is positive, some sort of positive, pleasant feeling about it. It comes down to, to me, it's always that. It doesn't matter what it is, whether it's a, you know, a pleasant conversation or a cup of coffee or going for a walk. Essentially, it just hits the same kind of button of, I'm all right, things are well, you know, there's nothing to, nothing to worry about. I'm not dull or anxious for a few moments. <laughs> so you think, oh, the problem is, you know, forests or cooties or, People, then this is really missing the point. Uh, to look at this, this this psychological space, this psychological experience that transposes itself onto this and to that and the other. And the more we really examine that, and know it, and, and feel about what it is and where it is, you realize actually, if that's your refuge, you know it's always been your refuge. But the problem was, you thought actually it was that psychological refuge related to that particular visual object. Or that particular tactile object, or that particular series of events. Rather than something that that could, could be there on its own. If we had the, if the faculties are enhanced enough to to sustain it, to, to be with it, to lean into it, to let it be formless. So attachments are really good things to, to, to get friendly with. It takes, takes a long time. First of all, to own up to them. And not to get, to get some panic about it. Not to get confused and unbalanced by it all. So when we in, in community life and in relationships with other people, and you have to recognise that really um, this planetary existence is one where, whether you like it or not, you know there's seven billion others of us, and there's going to be, and you know we we're not like plants. We we don't we've got to live on food from other creatures. We you know we are related to some kind of context. So. One of the factors of right view is a recognition, you know, of a context of mother and father, of of belonging to something. Of, you know, if one use the word sort of inverted commas, but but you know, there is some sense of, you know, if you don't belong, if you don't see yourself in a context, even if you recognise that as if just a conventional reality, then the alternative is you see yourself out of context. And that's more dangerous, because then, you know, you, you get into this kind of nihilism. Nothing out there counts. It's all just me. Um, that's karmically very, un, very unwholesome. This is wrong view, because then, obviously, it weakens the the um, validity of one's um, karma, of, of one's uh, conscience, one's moral conscience. 
one's sense of compassion, one's sense of, um, of these skillful um, faculties don't really get much air, ventilation. So living in, and so the the, the great, um, you know, one of the great areas of our experience, yeah, and is to enter into the the, the non solidity of people, of situations around us, of units, of families, of monasteries, of communities, of people. In the, if we allow these to be, and the process of the, the emptiness of these things is conducive to the emptying of ourself, because the, the solidification of ourself is always related to the solidification of the context. So I become solid when I find something solid to like or dislike. Then I become solid. When the things I like or dislike are emptied out, then I, I'm, I don't have so much. I don't have so many clear edges anymore. When I don't have anything to get passionate about or belong to or you know hold on to. I don't have such clear edges anymore. Um, so, in terms of, of how this affects us, you know, the community life, relationship life, is one of, of being prepared to lose one's edges, to lose one's definitions. That's something that actually puts you in touch with the, the uncertainty and the resistances to those uncertainties and the tremendous pull towards finding oneself, defining oneself, holding oneself, being oneself, and then projecting onto others. And this is perhaps one of the kind of famous stories of, of the uh, monastic life that you, know, you don't really understand or know about, or it doesn't appear in, the, in doesn't seem to be on the agenda, but it's the most continuing famous story of what happens is the, the tremendous amount of, um, of of inner boundaries that start to occur and the solidification of people that starts to occur. You get any group, what you see people as and how inter- what you see people as defines how you hold yourself. I think you've all been through this with any kind of group situation, schools or Offices or, you know, partnerships and so on. How, you know, the, the solidification of how you perceive other people is a necessary thing to establish who you experience yourself as being. Yeah. One of the easiest ways to, 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 to find a common friendship is till you get to, two or three people get together and talk about a fourth, third person, a fourth person who isn't here and make that person solid. Then suddenly you're bonded. <laughs> Do you know that? Yeah, you've got something. There's something there, isn't there? You know, football. There you are, you know, England, Uruguay, whoever it is. And then you, you know, the, the more solid and real that that little group is, if guys kicking a bit of leather around in the field, then the more. You know, solid one feels oneself as being bonded to the rest of the group. Tremendous energy in that. A tremendous, um, powerful, emotional energy. 
that comes out of that. So we're, we're dealing with the, the, the structures of self, are like the structures you know, that bind atoms together. Once you release them, the effect can be nuclear. You know, the, the sticking together of those things. But it's exactly that, the release of that energy, the liberation, is the necessary requirement for the kind of energy of liberation, for the, the, the freeing up from solidity. It's not a, a weak kind of dying out experience. It's actually what dies are the bonds and the boundaries. And release is a powerful, if uh, a finally peaceful and fulfilling experience. It's not destructive. It certainly is an interesting um, practice. I find myself you know, living in a group of people and you know, we, we bring our perceptual realities in, who we are. You know, in any, any given group, there's some, somebody who feels they belong, you know, they're, they're, they've got a particular work thing, maybe they're into doing a particular work thing at a certain time. So no, the work—that's that's the that's the kind of thing on their back. And somebody's into Lavinia, that's on their back. And somebody's into you know, doing my meditation, that's theirs. Somebody's into I'm in charge of this group, that's theirs. You know, I'm the abbot. Somebody's into I want to develop good community relationships, that's theirs. And you put them in a room together, you wonder why they can't speak to each other. Because. <laughs> You got the, the real people are all the, you know, the thing that we've, are all these perceptual people that we haven't actually, don't even know are there. These little kind of skinny bodies walking around, sitting around. And there's these enormous shadow people behind them. And somebody, you know, and now if I was being in this situation, anything I can look towards is, Uncertainty. Is that seems to bring up a quality of helplessness that is conducive to compassion. So I like to offer that. Um, uncertainty. You know? The permanence of our perceptions is dependent upon the perception of permanence. There is you know, something that we are or could be or should be or that we aren't or shouldn't be or couldn't be. There's something that he is that he should be or shouldn't be or wouldn't be or will be. There's something that she is that she might be and she's not being and she was yesterday when will, she, when will she be? There's something. What is that thing? If we can practice just a, you know, relaxing that in ourselves and in others, it's quite, I find it quite um, challenging because it, it just, it's so it leaves just uncertainty. But in that, the more I am able to enter into that uncertainty, step at a time, gradually, 
best I can. And some quality of a, of a kind of the tenderness where before there was a judgment and there's a compassion where before there was a conviction. Um, for this for your reflections.